0: Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia And we meet again immediately after Tisha B'Av eager to learn Torah after our enforced break and last week we were in Bereshit Perik Vav Pasad Gimel and we had a bit more to finish Um, And first of all, just for the sake of completeness, Rashi said that the word beshagam is to be read as if it said beshagam, with a segol under the shin, and the phrase means beshagam hu basar, even while, or even though he is flesh, and Rashi said, this refers to mankind, which Hashem is, as it were, despairing of, and saying, I'm not going to give him much longer, even though he is flesh, and Rashi adds there and even so he is not humbled before me and what we just jumped over last week because I wanted to get to another point was a couple of pesukim that Rashi brings to show that the patach under the shin can be exchanged for a segol and he gives two examples so right in the middle of Rashi on Pasuk Gimel he says Ad in Shoftim until Devorah got up, and clearly the shin with a patach must be read as a shin with a segal, kamo uh, she as if it had written Shekamti. kamti another example, also from Shoftim, Sha'ata ata medaber imi, kamo she So that you speak with me, there's no other way of reading the shin other than imagining there's a segal underneath it. So he says, af b'shagam kamo b'shagam. So here, our case of the shagam, with a patach under the shin, can be read as, should be read as if it wrote the shagam, with a segal under the shin, and the shah meaning which or that. You have a question? Yes. Historically, when were the nikudot put in place? Good question. I think the answer, when were the nikudot put in place? The nikudot that we have now, the dots and the dashes, I think came from Tiveria in the 8th century. But, they, but they were, that's just the, our symbolism. But the different vowels with the different grammatical meanings is much older than that. I'm not quite sure. And, and, and was it the same with like Nach and Torah in terms of when they came together? Because he used Nach um, sources to show like Shata is Shata. Like shata, is shata. Uh, so, yes, think, like, so he uses sources from Nach because Nach and Torah are written in the same language, what we call classical yeah. Hebrew. So if a rule works in one place, then it transfers to the other. Okay, then, continuing in Pasuk Gimel, after Rashi explaining the first part of the Pasuk, saying, I'm not going to give man much longer... The puzzle concludes, And his days will be 120 years. And I just mentioned last week, uh, just as a, a straw man argument, you might read that as something to do with the longevity of man, that his lifespan will now be 120 years. You might have thought that, because we talk about people living for 120. But that's not what it means at all, says Rashi. Ad me'av v'esrim shana a'arich lahem api. Uh, for 120 years, I will extend my anger. In other words, I'm going to give them 120 years to see what will happen. Ve'im lo avi And if they do not repent, I will bring on them the flood. And those 120 years, we understand, correspond to the 120 years during which Noach, who's been previously mentioned, was building the Teva. And we'll see when we get to Parashat Noach, which is really very soon, Next week or the week after, the latest, we'll talk about him spending 120 years building the Teva, and that matches the 120 years here. So Hashem, after saying, Adam is, uh, I'm not going to, Adam I'm not going to extend my judgment about Adam forever, which means even though he's flesh, he's still not humbling before me, I'm going to give him 120 years, and then I will decide. Now, Rashi now uh, addresses straight away a problem that you might have perceived, because in Pasuk Lamed Bet, previously, we read, So Noach's already had the three children. And we talked about the reason he had them then, much later than any of his antecedents had children, was because Hashem didn't want to make them liable for being punished for their wickedness prior to the flood. And that is why he made sure that Yafet, the oldest, was only born a hundred years before the flood. That's what Rashi said, a hundred being the age then by which you become liable for a death penalty from heaven. So we have a problem. What's the problem? That we've already learnt that Yafet was born and that was a hundred years before the flood. Now, in Pasuk Gimel, which is later... Hashem gives them 120 years, and then he may or may not bring a flood. Spoiler, he does. So, what's the problem? The problem is chronology. So, Rashi says here, back to, towards the end of his comment on Pasik Gimel, Vim Tomar, if you were to ask the following question, Misha Nolad Yafet Ad Hamabol, Eina Eila From the time that Yafet was born until the Mabul was only 100 years. And we're now saying that Hashem is starting the clock and it's going to end in 120 years. So obviously this pasuk about starting the clock took place 20 years before Yafet was born, even though we've already learned previously about Yafet being born. So says Rashi, an answer that he uses from time to time Ein muktam u mukhar batorah literally there's no earlier and later in the Torah in other words there's no chronological order in the Torah if event A is written before event B it doesn't necessarily mean that event A happened before event B just very quickly there are 3 approaches you find in the Key Rashonim on this topic this topic itself is a makhloki in the Gemara so those who say ein muktam u mukhar or kein muktam u mukhar batorah both have on whom to rely the opinion of the Ibn Ezra is the Torah, the Torah is, there's, there's, there's no chronological order to it at all, full stop. The opposing view on the other extreme is the Ramban, who says the Torah is always in chronological order, unless we're absolutely forced to say that it's not. Uh, a good example of that is B'Midba Perik Aleph versus Perik Tet. B'Midba Perik Aleph explicitly says it took place in the second month in the second year of the Exodus, and B'Midba Perik Tet explicitly says it took place in the first month of the second year of the Exodus. So that's the sort of case where the Ramban holds up his hand and said, On that one, I have to accept uh, there's no chronological order, but in almost every other case, there is. And the reason I mention these two extremes is to say that Rashi is somewhere in the middle. Rashi says, Ein However, it's clear from Rashid Perush that unless there's a good reason to say it's not in chronological order, then it is in chronological order. So here there's a good reason to say it's not because he's already talked about Yafet being 100 or being born 100 years before the flood. And here he's explained this pasuk as Hashem giving mankind 120 years before the flood. So here is one of those cases where you have to say Ein He's not quite as strong of that as the Ramban. In other words, he doesn't have to be forced to such an extent like the Ramban is. He, he uses it more liberally. But nevertheless, unlike the Ibn Ezra, Rashi will only say that if there's a good reason to say it. So, continues Rashi, to explain the point, Kavar ha'ita kodem Noach The decree was already decreed 20 years before Noah produced generations. And that's what we find in Seder Olam. Seder Olam is a Midrash, which Rashi quotes from time to time, but it's a chronological one. It talks about the order of what happened. And then he says, "Yes, but lo yadun." There are many midrashic, Agadik midrashic narrative midrashim about lo yadun. But this is the clarity of the simple meaning. So when he said lo yadun, as he said right at the very beginning of Pesach Gimel, lo yitra'im ve'yariv ruhi, my soul, my my spirit will not argue and be troubled bishvil ha'adam that he says is ha the clearest pshat that you can come up with now we move on to Pasuk Dalad. and Pasuk Dalad, there's a lot going on in Pasuk Dalad. and it says as follows Hanafilim hayu be'eretz there were nafilim, which I'll leave untranslated for a moment in the land b'yomim ha'heim in those days v'gam achareichayim and also afterwards, Asher yavau b'nei ha'elohim el-banot ha'adam. In which or when the b'nei Elohim, we've already mentioned them in Pasuk Aleph. Um, I'm sorry, Pasuk Bet. And we explained, well, we gave two explanations for what they were. I'll come back to that. But they came upon the women, um, uh, the daughters, sorry, the daughters of man, i.e. the women, v'yaladu lahem, and they were born to them. Hema ha'giburim, they are the, what well, we normally translate this as strong ones. Rashi has a different approach. Asher me'olam, who were originally Anshe Hashem, um, which we'll leave untranslated. Now, there's a lot going on, and Rashi's got a lot to say. Now, I think an important way to approach this pasuk is what I saw in the um, Ber Yitzchak, um, who said this is a crucial pasuk in the story because in what's been happening up to now, Pasuk Aleph... Um, people started to do, uh, they multiplied on the face of the earth. And then in Pasuk Bet, B'nei HaElohim, and i mentioned now, Rashi said there were B'nei ha V'Hashoftim, the children of the officers and the judges, in other words, the elite. And then he said, B'nei elohim Ha Holchim Makam, they are the officers sent, in the, who, who walk around the earth as an emissaries of Hakarish Baruch and then they, um, uh, they, they got mixed in. And this seems to be an allusion, this second interpretation of B'nei Elohim, to the angels who fell to earth. That there were Malachim. the Midrash says, who said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give us a try with the Yetzirah, see what, how we behave. And he said, all right, I'll give you a try, send it down to earth, and it didn't turn out well. Anyway, so in Pasuk Bet, these B'nei Elohim, whoever they are, they saw the daughters but they were good, as in good-looking. And they took women from all whoever they chose. That was a bad thing. Now, then, in Pasuk Gimel, as we've just learned, Hashem says, "All right, I'll give you 120 years to see what's going to happen." Jumping ahead to Pasuk Hay, we see that Vayar Hashem Kira Libo Rak which I won't translate right now, when we get there, Hashem saw things were really bad. And in Pasuk Vav, Hashem says, it's all over. We're going to bring a flood. So what's the purpose of Pasuk Dalad? Pasuk Dalad is the result of the trial. Hashem says in Pasuk Gimel, I'll give you 120 years to see how it turns out. By the time we get to Pasuk Hey, it's clearly the verdict is failure, and therefore destruction, So Pasadalad is the response of mankind during the trial period. And Rashi sees it as that, and Rashi interprets every phrase as something bad. That everything that you could have read in different ways, Rashi says phrase by phrase, this shows that mankind didn't get it. They didn't use the chance. they were really bad. Okay, so now let's go through it bit by bit. Hana Filim says Rashi, shenaflu hippilu et haolam. They're called nephilim because they fell and they caused the world, world world to fall. Caused the world to fall. And then he says, "Ubaloshan ivri," and in Hebrew, "lashan It means giants. Now, there's a few things to explain here, so. Is Rashi bringing two explanations or one explanation? And uh, who are these nephilim? What does it mean they fell and they caused the world to fall? So one interpretation of nephilim is these angels that I mentioned just a moment ago who fell to earth. And Rashi certainly holds by this midrashic understanding. How do I know that? Because in the yud gimel lamad gimel, the bad spies in Pashit Shelach Lecha. Are trying to so- show the Bnei Israel how difficult it would be, impossible it would be to conquer Eretz Israel, and they say, For inu et hanafilim min hanafilim." There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, the giant min hanafilim from amongst the Nephilim. And Rashi says there, this is Yud uh, Lamad on the word Hanaphilim, he says anakim. It means anakim. It means giants. And then he says, Mibne, the Shenaflu Enosh. It's the children, and he may names these two angels, Shemchazai and Azel, who fell from heaven in the times of a generation of Enosh. So Rashi certainly holds by the fact that there were these fallen angels. And some want to say that's what he means here, the Nephilim, they fell, they fell from heaven. And they caused the rest of the world to fall because they sort of infected it with bad deeds. And then he says, This is not a different explanation. There's no diva acher here. It's an explanation of why he brings a midrashic, or if you like, a non-bashat interpretation of the word nephilim. He's saying nephilim means anakim, as we see there in the Nephilim Nephilim means giants. So why don't you say Anakim? Ah, that's the point. The fact that the Torah has not used the usual word for giants, Anakim, that's what Rashi means when he says, and in Hebrew the word is Anakim. So it's used a non-usual word, and therefore it needs an explanation. So it doesn't use the word Anakim, it used the word Nephilim, which obviously has something to do with Nafel, meaning falling. So Rashi explains it means the people who fell from heaven, and they caused the rest of the world to fall as well. But I just want to point out, I don't think it's absolutely clear um, that he means the angels who fell. He could just mean people who fell. And in fact, I would uh, volunteer that that is the correct Peshat. Uh, It's not for me to disagree with the mighty ones who have said it means the fallen angels. But I would say, based on what happens at the end of the pasuk, and Rashi's comment there, that it doesn't mean the fallen angels. That's just my thought. But there are those who say it does. That either it means the fallen angels or it means bad people who fell, as in fell in stature, and caused the rest of the world to fall as well. So it's bad things going on. No. Will Rashi often clarify that it's what it means in Hebrew? No, that is quite rare. I can't say I remember every comment of Rashi, but that is quite rare. He it's from oh, he often says it's from another... Well, not often. From time to time, he says this is from another language. But I think he's saying here that in regular use of Hebrew, which is the language we're using, if we want to talk about giants, we would use Anakim. So when we use another word for giants, and the feeling, sorry, I should have made clear, is also another word for giants, but it's not the main, it's not the, the primary word for giants. That's what, that's what he's saying. But you're right, He, I don't think he often, I don't recall often him saying, this is how you say it in Hebrew. He does often, or from time to time, say, this is how you say it in African languages or in Greek or in Arabic or in Coptic, uh, all those appear, and maybe others I haven't thought of. Um... But um, this one, I think he, the way I understand it is, he's saying this is the normal word in Hebrew. Hence, Nephilim is the abnormal word. Then he says, "Bayomim in those days," which days? Anybody, anybody's days? So we have to understand which days. So Rashi tells us which days. dor Enosh, in the generation of the of Enosh and in the and then sorry, the sons. Start again. In the days of the generation of Enosh and the descendants of Cain. So if you remember, um, Cain was pretty bad, and his descendants uh, were destined to live only, well, after seven years, sorry, seven generations, going to be an end to Cain. And we learned about the wives of Lemech who separated themselves from Lemech. And they said, says Rashi, why should we bring any more children? The world's going to be destroyed. And Rashi said there, that's not the flood, that's a pre-flood, which we're about to learn about, which came in the days of Enosh. So Rashi holds by the fact that there was a pre-flood. And it happened because people were being bad. And it was in those days so that's referring to the time that people are being bad, bad, which, by the way, is within the 120 years. That's crucial. Is Bimei Enosh U Not the time of Kain himself, but Kain's descendants. Vagam Achureichain. And also afterwards. So they carried on after what happened in the generation of Enosh. And what have we just said happened in the generation of Enosh? There was a pre-flood. So there was a pre-flood. We said there that uh, back, back in the story of Lemma, but it took away a third of the world. It's not the whole world, but a third of the world, which is pretty bad. And says Rashi. So the biyamim haheim refers to the days of the pre-flood. The gam acharei says Rashi. Af al ba'avdan enosh. Even though these people after that time had seen the destruction of the generation of Enosh, sha'ala o'kianus, but the sea rose and washed away a third of the world. Lo nichna Mahem. The generation of the flood, which is where we're up to now, was not humbled to learn from them. So that's the point of Gam Chayn. So there was something that happened, and they carried on being bad after that. That's what the Pasuk says. So Rashi comes with two, I think, intentions. Number one is to explain the words. What what does it mean that there was a time and then there was an after time? And number two, (coughs) how does that fit into the bigger narrative that we're leading up to the flood and we're in the 120 years trial time? And then he says, on the words, so the the Pasuk said there were these Nephilim um, who... El uh, When the Bene'alhim came onto the daughters of man. So Ashe says Rashi, Hayu anakim They bore giants like them. I'm sorry, he's also referring to the next two words of the Pasuk, the Lahem. Now, one of the commentaries says that Rashi's helping us with the tense here. Ashe Yahu is actually future. But Rashi makes clear... It's something that happened in the past. Just, by the way, a little bit about grammar. It's not strictly too, true to say that classical Hebrew has a future tense. If you look in the official grammar books, it's described as... Anyone know? It's so always described as imperfect, which means uncompleted. Now, usually imperfect means uncompleted past. So um, perfect is something you did, com- you completed. I went. That's perfect. I was going, that's imperfect, because it hasn't yet completed. That's a different tense in in English and Latin and so on. I will go. Now, in English, I I was going and I will go are two different things. In classical Hebrew, they're the same thing, because they both represent an action which is not yet completed. So it's not really correct, um, by my understanding of grammar, to say, oh, this is Hebrew, sorry, this is future, but it's read as a past. They're both the same tense. They're both imperfect, uncompleted action. Obviously, however, there's an ambiguity. Is it uncompleted because it hasn't happened yet? Or is it uncompleted because it was happening but hasn't yet finished? So sometimes we have to work that out. And this case, Rashi spells it out, a shayyavol looks like it might be as it's going to happen in the future, not it's future tense, i choose my words carefully, and Rashi says, no, it happened in the past. But it's continuous, it's imperfect, it's, it's ongoing, it's habitual. This is what was happening at the time. These Beneho ha'elahim were coming onto the women and they were bearing v'yuldult the lahem, they bore to them. So now Rashi adds, what's the explanation of lahem? I mean, whom else did they bore to, bear to? Yeah. Man and woman, she conceives. Um, obviously, she gives birth to, to the father. Or, or to the child, but by virtue of the father, you see what I mean. So Rashi says the point is that Lahem, Hayu Yaladot anakim kumotam. So he understands for yaldu Lahem as they bore similar to their progenitor And then now Hema, they are Hagiburim. They are the Giburim. Now it's Rashi doesn't directly relate to this, in fact he doesn't relate to it at all. Um or maybe he does. Maybe he does, as I think about it. Uh, at this point, let me just say, I think there's three interpretations of the giburim to whom it refers. It could be referring to the nephilim at the beginning of the passage. It could be referring to the b'nei Elohim, who, like, are doing their thing at the same time. Or it could be doing, referring to the offspring of the b'nei ho-el-ahim. I think it could mean any of them. But Hema ha'giburim, let's just understand the word giborim What does Giborim mean? Anyone? Strong. 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 Is it good or is it bad? Is it a good thing to be a gibur or is it a bad thing to be a gibor? I think generally it's a good thing. Now, would that make sense in the context of the posik, Because I explained what this pasuk is doing. There's a shaking of a head there. And for those listening to the podcast, there's a shaking of the head at the back of the room there. And it's quite right to shake their head because, as I explained, and clearly we've got the direction now from Rashi, that everything in this pasuk is bad. So what does giburim mean? So Rashi says, giburim, limrod bamakom, to rebel against God. And we find elsewhere uh, in relation to, well, I'm thinking of Nimrod, Gibor Chaya. He, he was a mighty, uh, Gibor Sayed, he was a mighty hunter. But Rashi there says it wasn't so good that Nimrod was Gibor. Gibor is not necessarily a good thing. And Gibor can mean, like one who has the chutzpah, to rebel against Hashem. And that's what Rashi says here. And finally, Heima Hagiburim, Asher me'olam <laughs> Anshe Hashem who were originally men of the name. Now, or sometimes translated as men of renown, um, men whose name were famous. And we use that phrase, Anshe Hashem, elsewhere in a positive way. Now, should it be positive in this case? I ask again? No, No, you're getting the idea here. Okay, so Rashi's going to say that it's not positive. Says Rashi, Anshe Hashem, Otam shenikvu Bashemot, those who were specified by their names. Irad matushael shenikvu that was specified alshem avdan because of their destruction. So let's pause for a minute. Rashi is saying it refers to people who had a special name which in the next line he says they had a special name in relation to the destruction that was coming upon them or even had come upon them. Um, So it's men of a name, a deliberate name. And what is that deliberate name? So he mentions three people who were there in the genealogy from Adam to Noah, I think towards the end. And he says they've got names that refer to destruction. How come? Shenimuchu, they were dissolved and they were weakened. So mechuyael, he says, is related to mechuy, dissolving. And mechuyael is related to tush, which means which means weakened. Who's missing? Irad. Irad. Now, I don't quite know why Rashi misses out Irad. The maral explains Irad means expulsion, like being expelled from the world. Maybe it's obvious. Maybe we just know that irad means expulsion. Eradicate. Eradicate. Mm -hmm. Almost the same word. Very good. So it refers to, Anshe Hashem is people whom, by the way, we've already met in the genealogy that went from Adam to Noah, and they're the people being referred to. So before we get to Rashi's Devar Achea, because he gives another explanation for Anshe Hashem, it turns out that we're talking about people we've already met. Now, as I say, I'm not 100% sure if there is the Nephilim. And if it were, by the way, that's why I suggested earlier, it doesn't mean the fallen angels. It means people who were, had fallen from their appropriate stature into bad ways. Um, or it could mean they're the children of the B'nai HaLahim where it says V'yaldu lahem. Now, I, I leave it open because Rashi's not clear on that point, and I think it's ambiguous. But certainly in the mix... Of the people that were going on at this time during the 120 years were bad people, maybe even fallen angels who were making everybody else bad. Uh, and the Bnei Elohim were also taking the women whom they wanted. That's a reference back to what we saw in Pasuk Bet, and they were giving birth to more people like them. And somewhere in the mix are these people Irad, El and Mutushael, who represent, and, and, and their very name demonstrates the downfall of humanity. And then he says, Shamaam." Another explanation of Anshe Hashem is Anshe Shamaam, Eto who desolated the world. They are people of desolation because they caused the world to be desolated. Now, when we have two explanations in a devar Achir, we want to know why. And as I often say, the best place to look is the Muscular David. And the Muscular David says, d'a ilu le le, le shemot. According to the first explanation, men of name, doesn't mean men of renown as it normally does. Ratneva Eustria's explanations means men of renown, by the way, because that would be good. And we have to find explanations which are bad. So the first explanation was men who were distinguished by particular names. So it should have said, unshe Shemot, says the muscular David. And if, according to the second explanation, men of desolation, then it shouldn't have said the hay. It should have just said unshe Shem, or Anshay shamam. But... Anshay Hashem, the hay the hey, doesn't quite fit. So that's the muscular David, in a typical sort of style of the Muscular David, that you need two explanations, because neither of them quite fit with the Lushan perfectly. Now... We'll move on to Pasuk Hay, which we did rehearse a little bit before. And actually, Rashi's got nothing to say, which is interesting, because I think there's a lot to say in this Pasuk, but Rashi obviously thinks not. But this is what happens after Pasuk Dalat. So there's been the 120 years trial. Pasuk Dalat says things carried on being bad. Even after, says Rashi, the people had a chance to repent because they saw the pre-flood. So what happens? Vayar Hashem. Ki ra'at ha'adam. Hashem saw that the evil of man was great. Ba'aretz, in the earth. Interesting. V'chol yitzer machshavot libo. And all the product of the thought of his heart. Rak ra kol hayom. Was only evil all the day. Or all the time. Pretty depressing actually. So that is the result of waiting 120 years. So in Pasuk Dalet, they go bad, they don't learn, they carry on being bad. Pasuk, Hay, it's the end. We've reached a point where there's nothing but evil. So, yes? Um, with the fallen angels, I'm just a bit confused, because um, were they then turned into humans? Uh, it's just Says of... Rashi, said Rashi earlier in Pasuk uh, Bet, they mixed up with the humans. Um, so, as in, if Hashem wanted the world to be infiltrated by evil and he said these fallen angels is I guess the now he didn't want the world to be infiltrated by evil that's not right he, yes. the fallen angels according to the Midrash asked for a chance to have a Yetzirah which they could overcome um, I think I talked last week about how angels don't have a Yetzirah we're better off than them because we have a chance to rise above it we have a chance to achieve to meet the challenge and the angels don't uh, so only negative, sorry, just clarification. not only negative I'm sorry? Um, like there were any fallen angels that were born? Um, as, as, as far as I know, the Midrash says, uh, the uh, name's two of them, and they, they came down to earth and they turned bad. yes. Okay. So I, I don't know any Midrash that says there were fallen angels who fell and stayed good. <laughs> okay, So answer the question? Yeah. Okay, so now we come to Basak Vav. And there's a lot, Rashi's got a lot to say because there's a huge problem. Don't worry, Rashi deals with it. Turns out not to be a problem, but it looks like a huge problem. Vayinachem Hashem ki asa et haadam ba'aretz v'yitatzev el libo. How do we translate the yenachem? Any thoughts? Like we did before. Like we did before. <laughs> well, with Noach. Yes doesn't really work there because in this case what, what, the Rashi's point there was that the Mem wasn't part of the Shoresh part of the root but here it is so it's the, it's the Shoresh Nunchet Mem what does that mean? Comfort. okay it could mean comfort can it mean anything else? regret, regret. is there a problem by saying Hashem regretted? Very anthropomorphic. anthropomorphic and yeah, he everything. It implies he made a mistake ok so we'll deal with that but we'll also note that it can mean comfort which might be a good idea to grasp onto if we've got too many problems with regret um, and he was saddened to his heart so Rashi really has got sort of I think three approaches really but there's basically a pair and then one And Rashi says as this, Now, uh, before, I must stress that there are uh, two explanations. So we're starting with one of them. Actually, there's three, as we'll see. It was a comfort before him. In other words, he was comforted. That he created him in the lower realms. Because if he was from the upper world, he would cause them to rebel. That's from Bereshit Rabba. So how are we translating Vayanachem, He was comforted. So we've got the situation where man is really bad, and yet he's comforted that he created him. How does that make sense? Well, because we've added the word, the Torah adds the word, which, by the way, it mentioned in the previous word, the book as well, which I thought was significant. So he Hashem, for which we'll translate as was comforted, that he made Adam, not that he made Adam, but he made Adam ba'aretz. Ah, says Hakarish Baruch Hu. Wow, well, that was lucky, that was a close shave. If I'd made him ba'shamayim, that would have been disastrous because he's so chutzpahdik and so refuses to learn, he would have caused everybody else in Shemayim to rebel. So it's okay that I made him ba'aretz. It's more than okay, it's a nachama. So that's explanation one, but we also have to match it with the word v'yit atsev. So if Hashem is comforted, the next word cannot mean Hashem was saddened. doesn't make sense. V'yit atzev, he was saddened. So, says Rashi, v'yit yadzev, ha'adam el libo shel makom. It was Adam who was saddened, el, el libo shel makom, to the heart of Hashem. What does that mean? Continues Rashi. Allah ba It literally went up in his thought. Sholmakom of Hashem. In other words, Hashem thought, or Hashem planned. La itzivo To sadden him. To sadden man. Ze targum And that is what uncleus says. So there's two parts of this Rashi, and they fit together. How do we understand v'yinachem? And how do we understand v'yitatsev? And in a minute, we're going to give another explanation to both. So, Yenachem means he was comforted, because it wasn't so bad, because he made, Hashem, made man in earth. And he's going to make man sad. How's he going to make man sad? Well, he's going to do something that's going to make man very sad. Namely, he's going to flood him. But look at Unculus, since Rashi refers us to Unkelos. Now, the Unkelos that he's referring to is not Unkelos' comment on the Yenachem, because Unculus has a different idea of Yenachem. But rather on the Yit So Uncleus on Pasuk Vav says for Hashem ba Hashem repented or returned of His original word, Areivad Yat Adam va'Ara that He had made man in the earth. So that's Rashi. Sorry, that's not Rashi. For Ama ba and Hashem said in His saying, which is the way Uncleus says Hashem said, "Lemitbar took feihun. To break his strength according to his desire. I think that's Hashem's desire. But the point is, Ve'yet is he's going to hurt man. He's going to break his strength, says Uncleus. And Rashi says that Rashi is following Uncleus in that point. So Ve'yet Yatsev, says Rashi, and going back, Ha Adam, man will be saddened, El Shomakom, by the heart, in other words, by the desire of Hashem's desire. That's what Hashem wants to happen. That's vayet said, Man will be saddened, el lebol makam, and that will be in Hashem's heart. That's Rashi's first explanation. Then he says, another explanation, means machshavato shel makom. Hashem's thought changed, or was inverted even, from the, middle, from the attribute of mercy to the attribute of judgment so there's a couple of things to say first of all we are saying now means Hashem changed his mind which of course is problematic because how can Hashem change his mind why should Hashem change his mind we'll come to that explicitly soon and the next thing is this bit about Midat HaRachamim to Midat That was the change. So originally it was Midat HaRachamim. Hashem was all nice and lovey-dovey to mankind and says, woo, I'm going to help you. And then now he says Midat tadin. Wow, I'm not going to help you. I'm going to destroy you. Where, where's the clue in the Pasuk? But there's something about Midat HaRachamim Midat Well, when there's Midat HaRacham Midat you should usually look at the name of Hashem. And what's the name of Hashem in this Pasuk? Hashem, Yudke Vavke as opposed to okay. Elohim. So Hashem has a number of names, normally counted as seven, but maybe more, um, which occur in, in, in Tanakh. But the two big ones are Elohim and Hashem, by which we mean Yud Vavke. K. And when we see those two, we normally assume Elohim represents Midat HaDin, and Hashem represents Midat HaRachamim. And Rashi learns here that V'Yinachem Hashem means he was Hashem, but V'Yinachem from that. He changed from Hashem, so he was Hashem, but then he changed, and that's why Rashi says from midat harachamim to midat hadin. Allah uh, b'machshava says Rashi he thought That's that's the, anthropo- the avoiding the anthropomorphism to avoid saying Hashem thought. You say the thought came up before him, but it means Hashem thought. Ma laasot baadam Sha'asa ba'aretz. What to do to man? That he had made in the land. Now, at this point, Ba'aretz is, is not uh, a vital part of the story, like it was for the first explanation. The first explanation is Hashem was comforted that he had made Hashem. Where had he made him? Ba'aretz. That was the comfort. According to this second explanation, it's just a, a, um, a like a placeholder, almost literally. It's a reference to man that he had the man whom he made in the earth. As opposed to other things. The man whom he made in the earth, he now thought what to do about him. And now he's going to show you that Nachem often means to think again, to, to take counsel or to reassess. And he brings a few Pasukim to show that. He says, Fakhein call lashon nichum shabamikrah, every expression of nichum that you find in scripture, Nimlach Mala Asot. It's an expression of considering what to do. And now he brings one, two, three, four examples. And as I've said to you before, when he brings four examples, we should wonder why he needs to bring four examples. I didn't actually see anyone who commented on that and I can't work it out. So I just mentioned it as something to wonder about. And so what are the four examples? First one, Ben Adam um Balak, or Bilam rather, says it wanted to be a curse, but it turned out to be a praise, that Hashem is um, not like a person who changes his mind. I realize it's quite ironic, actually, because the whole point is this is referring to Hashem, but he does change his mind. Okay. Interesting. yitnachem um, in, in, in Chazinu, um, when Hashem... It depends how you read it. Rashi brings two explanations, but Hashem comes back to look after the B'nai Israel after having exiled them and allowed them to suffer. He changes his mind about his servants, or, or, or reassesses. changes his mind is too strong. He reassesses. For Hashem al after the eagle, Hashem said, "I'm going to wipe out the people." Moshe said, "Please don't." For Hashem al Hashem reassessed the bad that he was planning to do. Anyone hear that this afternoon? Ah, yes, good. It was lained in this afternoon's laning, Not this morning, so that's an interesting story about Tishabab. We'll wait for next year to talk about that further. And then, one of the saddest pesukim of all in the Tanakh. So, um, I have the z'chut often to read the Haftorah on Shabbat Zachor. And I almost cry, because I find it really, really sad. What's the Haftorah Shabbat Zachor about? I'm quite. Not quite. Well, that comes into the story, but mainly about Sha'ol and Shaul failing. And Hashem tells Shmuel that it's time for a new king. I regret that I have made Sha'ol king. And Sha'ol is such a tragic figure because he's a tzaddik, but he just hasn't quite got the greatness that his job requires. He just doesn't get it. And in, in, the, parasha, in, the, in the Haftarah of Shabbat Parshat Zachar, it's the, it's the denouement. And, and Shmuel comes to him and says, it's all over. And then, this is the heart-wrenching thing. Shaul says, please, please, give me another chance. And Shmuel says, it's over. Anyway, Hashem says, ki him I regret that I have, or I've changed my mind, or I've reassessed about making him king. Says Rashi, kulam lashan machshava acharet heim. They all represent a different thought. So, nahama means either comfort or a change of mind. Now, I said that Rashi has to explain the two words, v'yernachem and v'yit yadzev, as a pair. So, in the first explanation of v'yernachem, he also explained v'yit yadzev. Hashem was comforted, and then he said, I'm going to make man sad. What about in this explanation? Hashem's going to reassess. And what does it mean, by yadzev, el Nit Nit'abel al-avdan ma'aseh yadav. He was mourning on the destruction of his own handiwork. So who's sad? Whose heart? Hashem's Hashem's heart. Well, Actually, it was Hashem's heart, the first explanation as well, because it was Hashem's plan to make man sad. But who's sad? Hashem. That's the difference. In the first explanation, man was sad because he was going to be flooded. In the second explanation, Hashem is sad. And then Rashi brings examples of how Yadzev can be used in this sense, another very, very tragic story about Dovin HaMelech, who was saddened about his son, about the loss of his son. And then he said, I'll pause for a minute. Now, we have two explanations. What do we need to explain? Why do we need two explanations? Where's the best place to look? Ah, good. We're all learning so Rashi Namaskyullah David says and I brought the Sefer tonight because he's got a lot to say so I'll read it through and translate as we go you haven't got it in front of you um, Rashi needs to bring both explanations in both words because according to the first explanation the word Nechama as in consolation doesn't really fit so well because what, what did Rashi say in the first explanation ah I'm comforted but I only made him in the earth but actually it would have been better even according to that explanation not to make him in the earth at all because he's a bad one so it's a comfort I made him in the earth but really what Hashem wants to say is I shouldn't have made him at all so how is it a comfort he made him in the earth it doesn't work so well um, that's not real, it's not complete comfort. And furthermore, it doesn't really fit with what comes later because what does Hashem do in Pasuk Zion? I haven't read it yet, but can you guess? Or what does he do in the following parasha? Flood. Flood. So what happens to man? He wipes him out. So it doesn't really fit to say, oh, it's okay because I made him on earth because clearly Hashem reacts in a way to show it's very far from okay. So that's the reaction, the rejection of that's the problem with the first explanation. Uh, and the first explanation of sev that I will make man sad. Nami that's also it's a little bit forced. The basically the grammar's wrong. It should have said the that man would be saddened but not that he would make, that man will be made into sad. And uh, without getting into all the binyanim there, we'll leave it at that. It's just not quite the right grammar of a yit maiti And that's why Rashi brings the second explanation. Ula And according to the other explanation, nami beperish kasher, the word v'yanachem, meaning he changed his mind or reassessed, is also a problem. ba'aretz. Why do we need the word ba'aretz? And I said, as we went through it in the second explanation, ba'aretz isn't really necessary. It's just sort of defined, referring to whom, uh, which, whom are we talking about, the man whom he created in earth. But he didn't create man anywhere else, so the word ba'aretz is a little bit superfluous. ki asa he, all it needs to say is, if it means Hashem reassessed, it just means he reassessed that he made man. We don't need the word Ba'aretz. Uh, and also, according to the second explanation, the explanation of Vayet which means Hashem was saddened, is also a little bit hard, because it should have said, the Yadzev not the Yadzev el um, As the Apostle says, he was, ha- saddened, hard-, sorry, he was saddened to his heart. What's to his heart? doesn't need he to say to his heart. It could have just said, he was saddened in his heart. That's really what it means. By the way, we do see le as referring, as meaning ba, um, where it says in Pasha uh, that when you take the ashes of the red heifer and you put mayim chayim el keili, you put living water, water from a spring, el keili. What do we mean by el keili? Into the keili. So you do see L meaning B, but it doesn't normally mean B. So says the Mascula David, that's a weakness in the second Pashat. The second Pashat doesn't quite fit, neither does the first Pashat, that's why you need both. But now Rashi says, and this is pretty powerful, I've written all this as a response to the Minim. The Minim are the heretics. So the heretics want to learn from this Pasuk a piece of heresy. That's what heretics like. They like heresy. And to imply that Hashem cannot tell the future. And that is heretical. One of the ikreya mona, one of the principles of faith, is Hashem knows everything. So as we're about to see, there's an idea that you could misread this Pasuk as thinking that Hashem does not know the future. So says Rashi, I've written the, the correct explanation to refute the question of the heretics. How do we know there's a question of the heretics? Because we learn it in the Midrash. And it goes like this. Goi sha'al ben Karcha. A non-Jew asked Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha the following question. Omar he said to him, the non-Jew said to Yeshua ben Karcha, Ein atem modim Do you agree that Hashem sees the future, literally sees what is to be born? Omar Rabbi Yeshua ben said, yes, of course. Amarlo, says the non-Jew, He was saddened to his heart, which implies he did something and then regretted it. And in particular implies that he only would have done something if he thought it was going to be good and it turned out to be bad. So it must mean something that wasn't foreseen at the time of Hashem creating man. Because had Hashem known that it was going to cause him sadness, he wouldn't have done it. Therefore, he didn't know that it was going to cause him sadness. And yet it did. Ergo, therefore, he didn't see the future. That's the question. On Rabbi Yeshua ben Kachiah answered and said to, to the non-Jew, "No lalcha ben z'cha miyamecha. Have you ever had born to you a male child? Sounds like, from what's going to happen next, that a male child is a greater cause for simcha. That, of course, is an idea that was current a long time ago and is no longer the case. But anyway, so have you had a male child which would be a cause for simcha? Amar lo hein. The non-Jew said, yeah, 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 been there, yeah. Amar umasita. So Rabbi Yeshua says, what did you do? Amar lo simachti et hakol. Um, I was happy and I made everybody else happy. We had a great big party. Amarlo, haita, yodeya Says Rabbi Yeshua, did you not know that in the end he's going to die? So why are you making this party? Because the end of all man is death, which is pretty sad. And you know that when he's going to be born. So why are you celebrating? Amarlo, bashat, bashat, evla, evla. So the non Jews' answer is. At the time of joy, joy. At the time of mourning, mourning. Which is the answer, by the way. So even though we know things are going to turn out bad, we know that everything has a fixed duration, we celebrate when there's a cause for celebration. And we leave the mourning for when there's time for mourning. Amar lo, Rabbi Yeshua said, kach Se HaKadosh That's the way of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Afal pi l'achto, even though it's known before him that in the end he will sin, Ula Avdan, and he will be destroyed, Lo Nimna Milavara'an. He did not refrain from creating him. Now, I'll just pause. Rashi adds five more words. But I think it's worth pausing at this point because the question's been answered. Why does Hashem get sad about his creation? Or rather, the non-Jew wanted to use that as a proof that Hashem knew, didn't know he was going to get sad. That's why he created man in the first place. But Rabbi Ben Karchia has made the non-Jew admit that there's no problem, really, because even though Hashem... Let's, let's answer the question by saying Hashem knows everything. So even at the time of creating man, Hashem knows that in the future Hashem's going to be sad, but that's not a reason not to create man. At the time of simcha, you do a simcha. It's a great thing to create man. And... At the time when he's sad, at the time when he's going to be destroyed, then he'll be sad. But Rashi adds five more words, and I think it's because there's still a question. So we've answered the non-Jews question about why Hashem will be sad, but we haven't answered the bigger question, which is why create man at all? Because until this point, we could learn the Torah and say, well, I understand Hashem knew he was going to be sad but he still created man, but why create man, given that he's going to have to destroy him? So I think that still stands as a question. And Rashi answers that by saying, Mehem." You know why Hashem created man? Even though he knew he was going to destroy almost all of him, and that obviously I have to add to make the whole story make sense, for the sake of the Sadiqim, which in the future are going to arise from amongst them. That's why Hashem made man. That's why even though all but one family deserved destruction and were destroyed, and at subsequent times, there's never going to be another flood, but there's cause for destruction of many individuals. Hashem, nevertheless, created man for the sake of the tzaddikim, for the sake of the righteous ones who will emerge from mankind. That's enough reason to create him. So we have explained the whole Pasuk. We gave two explanations for Yinachem, both of which um, avoid the... Uh, and we gave, even more importantly, we gave two explanations for Yit Atzev both of which refute the question of the heretics. The heretics see if Hashem is sad, as in the sense of uh, Hashem now regrets what he did and wishes he hadn't done it, but Hashem didn't know when he did it in the first place, but he's subsequently going to wish he hasn't done it. Both Rashi's explanation of the Yedtzev avoid that question. But then he says, I've done it to avoid the question. He now tells the story of the question, and he tells the story of the answer, in case you had the question. Um, And he he explains, in my opinion, the the, the combination of those words of Rashi is to answer the ultimate question, is why was man created despite all the trouble that he's going to cause? And the answer is for the Sadiqim. Okay, this week we didn't quite finish Sefer Bereshit, next week we will. We should have a little party, Uh, a very little modified seer. If you want to bring like nice things to eat to celebrate the end of Parshat Parshat Bereshit and the beginning of Parshat Noach, that might be appropriate. See you next week.